is Brian Bailey, Chief Marketing and Experience Officer with Metro Inclusive Health. You're listening to Inclusivity and Beyond, subjects that impact the health and wellness of our community. Welcome to Metro Inclusive Health's podcast, Inclusivity and Beyond. Um, This is one of many conversations that we're going to be having um, about overall health and wellness. Um, Today, we're actually talking about uh, Gen Z, so the youth um, in our lives and in our communities. Um, Obviously, times have changed, um, and whether we're talking about um, organizations like Metro or public schools, I think there's a lot of kind of catching up that we have to do as far as affirming our young people and educating them about everything they need to know. So we're all kind of social distancing. Many of us are at home right now, so we have plenty of time to dig in to these deep topics. Remember that we're all in this together, uh, but keep washing your hands, you know, take every precaution that you need to to be safe and we'll be right here with you. To introduce myself, I'm Christine Montero. Uh, I use she, her pronouns, and I work at Metro Inclusive Health as a prevention and sexual health specialist. Um, I'm on the prevention team, and I work with our youth programs. So um, me and my colleagues, we go out into the community, and we educate and do a lot of outreach and HIV testing to young people ages 13 to 24. So thanks for being here. I'm going to let um, my co-panelists introduce themselves. If Emma, you want to start? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. Hey, everyone. My name is Emma McNess. She, her, they, them pronouns. And I'm one of the LGBTQ program specialists with Metro Inclusive Health. And I work with our youth running our support programs and our youth nights. So I'm in constant interaction with our teams. And I've been in youth development for over 10, 12 years now. So it's kind of the thing I've been involved in for a while. Sweet. Hi, yes, Julia. I'm Julia. Um, and I am also, I work with uh, Christine. We're on the same team with prevention and sexual health. Um, I uh, use pronouns of she and her. Uh, I have been in the field for about mm, 10 years now working with uh, youth as well, um, talking about talking a lot about um, sexual health, educating them on how to stay safe, uh, how important it is to stay safe. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I think we all have like really good experiences, both professionally and personally. Um, obviously we've all been children. Miss Julia, you've been a teacher in the public schools, um, and you have your own children. So I think, um, especially with your expertise, Emma, coming from our LGBT programs department that we can have, um, really cool, uh, engaging conversations. So I hope everyone out there watching watching is ready and excited. Um, I think it's super important when we're talking about like the present and um, all of the current events and issues going on in public schools surrounding sex ed and in our communities also 
um, it's important to like remember the past and like what cultural norms we've inherited and really what is acceptable or what has been um, typical um, as far as sex, sex education in the past. So um, do you all think about that? And do you think we've really um, come a long way since the past? I think it really depends on what you define as come a long way. You know, sex sex is everywhere, right? But our education on it isn't. And maybe it's further along now than it has been. I think in many ways, with many different folks, it's kind of also been stunted. Mm -hmm. The impression of how we talk about sex, who we talk to sex about. Yes and no is kind of my answer there. Totally. I feel you. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting, too, um, because a lot of times certain cultures talk about sex more so than other cultures. Just for example, uh, when I was coming up in the 80s, nobody really talked about it like that. Um, Pretty much uh, your parents didn't really say very much about it. Um, Yeah, they did tell you not to do things, but they never explained why. Uh, I think with all of the... um, platforms and social media and things that are coming out you you get so much more information now than you did then so i and i think nowadays parents um they do get a little overwhelmed with the fact of trying to what what should you explain at what age and what you shouldn't explain to the um to your child uh, and i know for a personal on a personal level for me had i not worked at metro i probably wouldn't be as open to talk about sex with my uh, my children, just because um, just because of the way I was brought up, you you handed them a book and they read, you know, they I was handed a book and I read the book and that was it, yeah. no conversation whatsoever. But by working at Metro, I saw the need that I saw the need that hey, we really do need to talk to our young people about mm-hmm. about sex. And uh, and being comfortable comfortable about talking about sex. So as a parent, um, as I became a parent, I'm like, okay, it's imperative that I talk about it, um, and that I talk about it in a way that they're comfortable and I am comfortable. Um, I was very fortunate that my husband was able to. Once I explained it to him, um, how we need to have conversations and uh, started giving statistics and things of that nature, um, he was able to come in on, on conversations. So we kind of tag teamed our, we have two boys. So we kind of tag teamed them uh, as far as talking to them about, uh, about sex and making it, making it comfortable for them to come to us if they had questions. And I think that's the biggest thing. Sometimes we don't allow our kids to, ask questions enough and you guys can talk a little bit more about that because you're <laughs> <way> younger <laughs> well it's funny i'm surprised like you even got a book i grew up in a middle eastern <laughs> household so my family's lebanese and uh sex never even there, there wasn't a mention of it not even a book i had yeah. to learn what i learned from social media or what i decided to look up but it wasn't until I was older where I came back home and taught my younger brother uh, mm-hmm. sex practices. So, I mean, I think it's great, right? It's important to be able to have those conversations. I'm glad you even got a book. <laughs> I got a good book, right? 
My sister worked at, uh, at the health department. She was an accountant at the health department. So they had books. So I got a book. <laughs> wow. And how old were you, Miss Julia? Probably in my eighth grade. <laughs> yeah. Same. There's so much there that I want to talk about and unpack, but I really, um, I agree with the both of you that it's gotten better as far as, um, you know, tolerance and acceptance of sex ed generally. I think we've come a long way, but at the same time, there's so many, so many spaces in which we can kind of expand because we can be in the schools and we can be in the community, um, maybe, with more tolerance, more open arms. But um, I think it's also important to think about what we're teaching, whether it's inclusive to everyone, whether it, you know, reflects everyone's, I don't think it can reflect everyone's experience, but that like it validates individuals, you know, like regardless Mm -hmm. of their identities. And yeah, I mean, I was thinking about this because I, I, feel like a lot of the reason why we don't have as much sex ed, like part of it obviously is stigma, Mm -hmm. but I feel like a lot of it also is that people just don't even realize how important sex ed is. And like, it's not just about a behavior, right? It's like about relationships. It's about identity. It's about your relationship with yourself. Um, So, and I think it's really important in just like the general upbringing of young people and like talking about consent, talking about, um, you know, negotiating your boundaries, everything like that. Um, I think that's really important in a young person's life. And I feel like it shows up in our work too, like that really personal, human, holistic aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, a lot of people ask that question of like, well, how young should we, how young is too young mm-hmm. when about sex? But Christine, what you mentioned are <laughs> aspects of sex and relationships that we can start at a younger age. We can yeah. start as young as elementary school to talk about what consent looks like in language that totally. kids understand or boundaries and how to set boundaries and giving kids agency over their body, the ability to say no and respecting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that continues to build on the physical mm-hmm. aspect of mm-hmm. that. We're not tying in things like self-esteem, self-confidence. Right. Uh, when we're talking about sex, specifically to our younger kids, right? Mm-hmm. We're all components of sex. Yeah. Uh, and it's almost like we have those conversations about sex, the emotional, mental part of it mm-hmm. after we talk about the physical part of it yeah mm-hmm. uh, but we can we, we need to flip that start talking about the mental emotional health first mm-hmm. before we go into the physical part of it um, so we can start young I just feel like we haven't quite connected that piece yet to kind of piggyback on that, Emma, is that uh, what I've noticed like the with the younger elementary age, a lot of parents are not teaching their children the proper, um, I want to say the proper oh, language, yeah. the proper mm-hmm. um, you know, having kids to call, you know, their, their private parts, different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, when the child grows up, that's what they know. And Christine, you can vouch for this. We've gone into certain uh, venues to talk to kids and uh, they, you know, they're not using, we're not using vagina and penis. They're using mm. either 
terms, uh, or they're using something that's made up within the household, what they call it. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like euphemisms. Right. When they yeah. grow up, they don't really know the proper terms to use. Yeah. Um, so therefore, what happens too with the younger kids, they pick up on that. If, mm-hmm. if your brother is calling your vagina your pocketbook or your cookie, then mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times that's what you're going to call it. And it, yeah. just, it just perpetuates. Yeah. And really, it's not even just a concern for when when you grow up, right? Like if young kids don't have the knowledge about their own bodies and feel like they have autonomy and know what their body parts are called, then, you know, it's easier to like prevent like really unfortunate circumstances of like, you know, um, sexual assault, um, Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, and obviously really, greatly affects folks down the road as well. But I also really liked what you said, Miss Julia, about how these subjects are different for folks, like culturally, um, mm-hmm. because I think it's important to mention, I have to mention it, I'm actually, I'm a social worker, um, so I want to be nerdy, but I feel like we have to mention the fact that like so many communities have been marginalized and, um, you know, victimized by their sexuality, um, whether it's sexual orientation, gender, um, gender expression, or just like how you want to live your life. Um, I feel like structurally really when it, whether it comes to like, Um, reproductive rights or, you know, a lot of times we tell our young people, um, specifically our people of color, um, we talk about, um, you know, we're real about the distrust in, you know, like the medical establishment, right? Because in the past, there have been experiments done on certain communities and like really like horrible things done to folks, um, you know, for the sake of different, like whether it's like, the gynecology field or what have you. Um, And so I think it's really important to think about that and think about how different communities, you know, deserve different individualized um, education, I think. Mm -hmm. So we talked a lot about culture, history, and really our experiences, I feel like, um, in our, in our own lives around, um, sex ed. But when we're talking about sex itself, um, like, what do you think is most important, um, as far as like content, um, and really, I mean, I guess we can talk about like different things, whether it's like sex ed in schools or parents and guardians having the talk with their young people. Um, What do you all think is like age appropriate or um, what do you think are like the main points that young people need to hear? If we're talking about young people, like I said, like elementary age, like content boundaries and that conversation continues to when they're teens or preteens. Uh, for me, the most important conversation to be had is one that's inclusive, that isn't a heterosexual-based conversation Mm -hmm. about sex, one that talks about body parts and Mm -hmm. not about bodies as it pertains to somebody's gender. Uh, So that inclusive aspect. 
because you also don't know who you're talking to, what thoughts they're having, and any misinformation or lack of information completely takes away that talk, that purpose of the talk. So content-wise, just to start off, making it inclusive and talk about specific body parts and not making it about gender. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I also agree that body parts are very important. Um, just how we talked about earlier, how uh, a lot of the younger kids don't know their body parts. And people don't realize when kids are, are babies, they're going to explore with themselves. They're going to explore mm -hmm. with, with their body parts. And it's very important that parents, and see, as a parent, you have to be comfortable with that. You know, um, mm. for example, like little boys, little boys are going to touch their penis. It's there, they're going to touch it. And, you know, some parents are like, oh, no, no, don't do that. And, well, I have seen parents, like, pop their hands or, or something like that, kind of wow. yell at them for doing that. Yeah. And um, that just kind of makes you feel like that, okay, that parent may not be that comfortable uh, in their own skin. Yeah. Of what's going on with that, with that child. And, the, and they're not, and they're just doing something that's natural, you right. know, what a natural child would do at that particular age. Um and so that's, that's a message in itself, you know, right. to like slap bad. someone. Yeah. Right. You know, that it's bad or, you know, you don't touch that or, you know, things like that. And that's why it's important for uh, programs like uh, the programs that we have at Metro uh, for people to participate mm -hmm. in. Because as a parent, if you are uncomfortable having the talk or mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it, then seek out other people who are expertise in that in that field to help you you know yeah. everybody needs, needs help uh as far as that's concerned um and I really I always encourage like um my daughters well she has uh she now has a teenage son and um and when we try to have the talk with mm. him of course he's like oh I already know this uh grandma Julia I know this I know that <sighs> and I'm like okay that's fine I said but I could just tell his mother wasn't comfortable. And I'm like, okay, here mm -hmm. you're talking to your grandparents about this. You're not comfortable talking to your mom about it, you know? Um, because once she walked out of the room, he opened up and started talking. So, um, it, and I think, uh, and as I, I emphasize, had I not worked in, a, in the field, uh, knowing statistics, knowing how important it is for us to be able to have conversations um, around sex and sex education and, and things of that nature. It, I, I see that for some kids, it's really helpful to have somebody to even go to, to talk about it. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, than me, and I'm sure, you know, people will, you know, the younger folks will come to you to ask you questions probably before they'll come to ask me. Um, and that just depends on how comfortable people are, you know? Yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah, and I like what you said about our programs because our LGBTQ teens uh, experience those workshops and they have those talks. We have safer sex workshops. We have workshops on boundaries and consent and on healthy relationships, uh, and it's inclusive, right? And then we also acknowledge our asexual teens, right? Mm -hmm. We're talking about sex. We're talking about maybe not having the desire to mm -hmm. be part of it, right? Because that's that's also a sexuality is not having a sexuality. So uh, our programs and our youth programs, that's you can send your LGBTQ team to our programs and we'll sit down and we'll talk to them 
mm-hmm. about it. And that's good because they need that. They need somebody that's going to be open and honest mm-hmm. uh, and forthright and, and acknowledging how they're feeling, you know. They're not getting it in their schools. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest. They're not getting it in their schools and they're getting mixed messages on social media and websites and folks in their life. And so they're getting inaccurate um, and non-inclusive information. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. It's a very impactful, not a positive impact. I like what you said, Miss Julie, about, I mean, just generally, there's like a lot of discomfort, obviously, because mm-hmm. like, if we don't have the experience of talking about these things personally, then we don't have that foundation or experience to know how to mm-hmm. talk to our kids about it. Um, but I think it's really important because, so we we're talking about like when kids are younger, obviously, in a perfect world, ideally, we would start start them off young, right? And really um, start with a foundation of like consent and body parts and all of that. But I feel like a lot of times parents, not that I know personally, but I feel <laughs> like usually what, like what is the case is that, you know, maybe they don't feel comfortable and they don't think it's a, the right time until maybe it's a little too late, you know? Right. And then maybe they're scared and nervous and uncomfortable. But I feel like, I feel like one of the most important things is like just to be authentic, right? And to say like, hey, the most important thing, if I'm a parent or I'm a guardian to a kid, um, I think the most important thing is to say, hey, like I'm there for you and Mm -hmm. um, we're going to work together to learn about this stuff, right? And um, I may not know everything, but I will seek out resources, right? And I will at least be there for you to answer any questions or talk um, and to just be real um, because I feel like, you know, having it be about, you know, just about behaviors or just about, you know, don't get pregnant, don't get an STD. Um, that's so it's, I don't know, it's really alienating, but yeah, like, do you, I'm really curious because Julie and I work on our youth programs, like more in the community, um, doing sex ed in schools and stuff. Emma, you work firsthand with our um, Metro youth uh, who are in our LGBTQ plus um, programs. Do you ever come across any barriers when it comes to like parents of the youth that you work with? Um, If we get a question from a parent, we always remind them and we just let them know as we remind our teens and let them know that participation is voluntary. If they don't feel comfortable with their uh, teen maybe going through a safer sex ed workshop mm-hmm. with us, that they can always go hang out on the porch with mm-hmm. two of the other teens and a facilitator if we're on our Youth Nights program. Uh, and then when they're ready to have that conversation, they can join us because we don't only have the conversation once a year. You know, we have it often. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's it's almost like when they're ready, but after we talk to parents and explain that it's inclusive, it's about safe sex practices, uh, it kind of oozes their mind too about what we're talking about. And I think like we had mentioned, it also takes away the pressure from them to have that conversation with, <laughs> yeah. with their, their LGBTQ team because now 
it's probably a world that they've never thought about having to talk mm-hmm. about sex. Right. And so now they're like, okay, I may not have any information, but these folks are willing and able to give totally. information yeah. that I, I just don't know anything about. Uh, mm-hmm. So we haven't really hit resistance from parents when it comes to our yeah. Yeah, and when it comes to our teens, it also depends on when they're ready, right? For a lot of our teens who maybe identify as ace or asexual, they're like, this mm-hmm. conversation for me. Um, and we encourage them to be part of the conversation to understand if you're not there, for any of our teens, if you're not there, it's okay. Mm-hmm. We will be there when you're ready. Yeah. We don't talk about it any less, and we don't remind them any less about, again, the emotional and mental safety part of sex, which is the consent and the boundaries mm-hmm. uh, and the confidence and the self-esteem, like those components of sex and relationships. So they may not hear about sex, but they'll hear about healthy relationships. For sure, yeah. <laughs> so there's always a way to incorporate aspects of sex without, you know, when they're ready. For yeah. sure. For sure. And offer the resources, right? Yeah, absolutely. And talk about testing. We've brought, um, we've brought prevention out to do testing um, mm-hmm. at our youth nights and talk to them about that, about HIV. So we're giving them access to resources and we're also making ourselves open for those questions that they may have. They see the safer sex kits that we have. And they'll ask questions and we answer. And if we don't have an answer, we give them our safer sex guide. If that doesn't provide them enough information, then we'll lead them to another place, right? Mm-hmm. So we come with the resources, but also the openness for them to come to us and have those awkward, sometimes shouldn't be awkward conversations about sex. And that's really good, Emma, because um, for a lot of parents, they don't know where to go for resources. And I tell parents all the time, I'm like, if you want some resources, uh, when you're getting ready to have, you know, the talk or how, whatever, come to Metro. That's what we do. That's what we're here for. Um, and you can see it just takes a lot of a lot for them. Like, oh, my God, is there somebody out there that can do this? And uh, I'm like, yeah, that's what we're here for. We're, you know, we're here to to take that extra pressure off of you if, you know, because I think for a lot of parents, um, they want to have, you know, we as parents, we want to have the right, inf- we want to have the right information, you know, mm-hmm. and we want to be correct in what we're telling our kids. So um, a lot of times uh, we, we shy away from asking um, other people and, and getting resources because we feel like, well, I'm the parent and I'm supposed to know. And, uh, and I'm very upfront with, with all of my kids, my, my own kids and my stepkids. I don't have all the answers, but what I can mm-hmm. do, I can seek out the resources for you, you know, because I'm, I, I'm going to be honest. I don't have all the answers. If you come to me with a question and that's another thing as parents, we have to, we have to start opening the doors, open that door so that your child can come to you with any type of question. You know, I always tell my kids there, there is no dumb question. Mm-hmm. I mean, that one question that somebody else is scared to ask you go ahead and ask that question so I think it's just important for us as parents to to open our doors and to be open-minded 
so that our kids can come to us and tell us, you know, hey, I'm feeling this way or somebody uh, came to, we're at school and they were talking about this subject matter. I didn't understand. Uh, so, hey, you know, I, to me, um, I just always feel like that your uh, first ground of information should be coming from your from your family, from your parents, you know, I think we like, or whoever your guardian is, that should be your first line of information. Versus uh, what? Versus (laughs) the streets. The streets. (laughs) This is James Keene, Director of Development at Metro Inclusive Health. You're listening to one of the many ways that support from our donors and sponsors help enable us with the ability to deliver important programming and information to our community. Help us if you can keep our programming live. You could buy this spot and share your message with our community. Julie, I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. Do you think that parents and guardians uh, are nervous to talk to other parents and guardians? about sex and resources because they maybe don't want to admit that their child is thinking or talking or wanting Mm -hmm. to have sex. Like what? what I think that's what it is because a lot of times if you're talking to another parent and they're sharing that information, they're like, Oh, they're, they're talking about sex. Oh, she's having sex. A lot of times it's not that. It's like you're bouncing off information trying to say, well, you know, my child was at this age and they were ta- asking me questions about mm-hmm. this. How do you feel about that? Um, but it's good to have, I think it's good to have other people. I like other people's opinions. So, um, and then you just take that and you just kind of go with whatever, what you're telling your child um, the resources that you found for your child. Um, and you just kind of move from there. Um, I think it's interesting though, but like I said, sometimes as a parent, you, you don't want anybody else to know or, or be, have the upper hand on you. You're kind of like, Oh yeah, you know, she can't know more than I know. Cause I'm the parent, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, it's pretty interesting. Parenting is interesting. Wait till you guys do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good. I'm same I know Miss Julia you love hearing about you know folks prospects as far as (laughs) babies and stuff um but yeah so it's like obviously like you said we want folks to young folks to feel comfortable you know in their you know families in there with their parents, with their guardians, as far as like talking about this stuff. And you said a close, um, tie, a friend or something, you know, somebody that you can get some, some good information. Of course, you know, like I want to be, not everyone, you know, is close with their family. Right. And so like some people have chosen family that they rely Mm -hmm. on. And so that's just as, that's just as important and valuable. Um, but yeah, so like the streets, but also I think we mentioned like way before we mentioned how like one way as a society, I feel like we've really advanced and how there's a lot of information out there, um, but because of like technology, right? And like everything there is online, whether it's information or entertainment, you know, um, and I feel like 
it's, I, I feel like it is probably daunting to parents of young people as far as like how to approach them about like what they see online or maybe how to access resources online. Um, because I don't know what, what, like, what have you all seen or what, like, what has your experience been like when you're engaging with parents or what do you think is like good practice as far as integrating, um, you know, media literacy, um, in sex ed? (laughs) That was a lot. (laughs) Okay. I mean, I was kind of like, you know, because like young people are uh, sexting, right? And young people yeah. are um, sending, they might be sending or receiving pictures, right? Or they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, or accessing porn, right? So, yeah. you know, what is the, what is our role? I feel like, you know, as community members, educators, and then what do you think is maybe the role for parents? I think here again, it comes to the point where education is the key. I mean, and mm-hmm. and to say like if a parent has to educate themselves as well, um, and then pass that on to their to their children or to their child um, as far as educating them. Um, I think sometimes as parents, we are so quick to say things are bad, and mm-hmm. we don't know if it's bad. Uh, we just know that we didn't do it, so it's bad. Um, and for the generation that's coming up now, it's kind of like a free-for-all. Nothing's bad anymore as far mm-hmm. as they're concerned. Like, hey, you know, we can do this. You can see this. And I think mm-hmm. things are so much accessible, you know, that you can get stuff online and on television. And what well, yeah. you see them doing TV, basically. So and online um, dating. And yeah. It, yeah, and with the online, <laughs> online dating. Well, the parents are online dating now. So. Yeah. <laughs> that's so, interesting um, but yeah it, it is very interesting and and to see how all of this evolves um I think it's going to be even more interesting because even with the social distancing that we're doing now with the pandemic um uh the whole uh how people I think the whole dating scene is going to change how people are dating yeah. and, mm-hmm. and even long term yeah okay so I want to say yes on educating mm-hmm. myself as a parent or a guardian. Um, but I think the other part of it is reflecting, if you are a parent or a guardian, on why you're still stigmatizing sex. Mm-hmm. Before you even go seek out resources, right? Why is the conversation so hard for you to have? What is your relationship to sex? Why? What is your hangup? Because that, when you're closed off, you can do all the research that you want uh, on sex and and yeah. But if you can't be open enough to understand your relationship to sex, that's not going to come across to your young person mm. if you're not comfortable or open yourself. And part of that openness is also saying, "Hey, I grew up thinking this way about sex, or this mm-hmm. is what." was taught growing up for example for me I can tell my teens no one talked to me about sex in my family and no one talked to me about being gay and having Mm -hmm. sex right but I've had to relearn stuff 
for myself and reflect on what my relationship was. And it's why I can have this conversation with you so openly. So I think even before the education piece comes in, as a parent or a guardian or even an adult that's having a conversation with a young person about sex, you need to understand what your relationship is to it and what that openness looks like to you to engage in that conversation in the first place. I agree. Yeah. I agree. And maybe just, you know, having that understanding that, okay, I have an idea that I have maybe identities and behaviors that I identify with. Um, but you know, everyone's going to be different and everyone has different experiences. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's totally foundational to like actually getting to the knowledge and the resources and stuff. Um, but I think a very good point that you hit on Emma is that everybody's experience is different. Absolutely. So if a person, and to be honest, if a person didn't have a good experience, um, then they're going to put that off on their children or on their child or who or whomever else. If they didn't have a good experience with it, or uh, in that case, uh, maybe um, a, a situation happened to them that wasn't pleasant, they're mm-hmm. going, they're going to put that negativity attack that when they're yeah. ha- when they're having a conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm just what what you're saying, what I hear, not to be like technical, but like what I hear you say is like uh generational trauma, right? Mm-hmm. Um and it's important to break that chain, which is it's really hard. Um mm-hmm. I mean, I know like you and I, Miss Julia, we work, um, I, I love what we do. I love the young people that we engage with. Um, and it's just so rewarding, um, because really you see how dire the situation is, you know, Mm -hmm. um, cause we're talking, um, predominantly about like HIV prevention and how to protect yourself. And it's, it truly is like so foundational, um, to your health, your wellness, um, your relationships, mental health, um, stuff like that. And it's really, um, we go out to the local jails, um, you know, group homes, homeless shelters, um, communities like that. And it's, um, you know, you see what, what a powerful effect like these conversations have. Cause it's not just about sex. It's about like yeah. your humanity really, I feel. Yeah. <sighs> so, I mean, we've talked about, I feel like having the talk as a parent, mm-hmm. um, just like, I want to round out our conversation as far as like sex education, you know, as, um, I don't know, like as an institution, um, by talking just like, like debriefing about like the state of public schools. Right. Um, so we talked about elementary school, how it's, how it's like, mainly we're talking about puberty, right. Um, Mm -hmm. and the very basics. Um, but what, I know you work a lot in the schools, Miss Julia, like what has your experience been? Um, and, and really like on a school level, on a district level, um, 
like, like what's the climate like? Um, well, basically, and here in Pinellas County, um, their stance is basically that, um, I'm not going to give you all the, I'm not going to give you any information because if I give you that information, you may go out here and do something with that information that I give you. So mm, they're kind yeah. of, there's, they, they kind of go and then they go, you know, I'm not giving you any information. Yeah. Um, and then you go from that till you see, you know, teens that are pregnant, you know, or, or, or your young ladies come to you and say, oh, yeah. you know, I'm 13 and I'm having sex with my boyfriend, my 16 year old boyfriend, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I think the school system is still a little antiquated with that. And they're not in reality of what really is going on out there and what kids are really doing. Because Christine, as you, as you and I see the statistics, even though um, they've gone down as far as, um, the STD and the HIV rates have gone down a little, um, but teens are having sex. Um, And the schools seem to have a stance where if we don't talk about it, they won't do it. And it's just just a combination of different things with the school system. Um, And then they have the battle with those parents who don't want the school to teach any sex ed in the school, um, but they're not doing it. And then, so it, it's just a whole different, di- different dynamics going on there. Um, I think when you and I go into the schools, um, Christine, we do a really good job of letting the, ch- letting the kids know that, Hey, um, if you're having some, uh, issues or you have questions, this is where you can come. Metro is the place to come to get that and to get some information. Um, and whether it's getting the information, whether it's getting condoms, um, all of that. So I think you and I do a a really good job of letting them know that this is where you can come. Uh, if a situation arises and you, you are having sex, um, you know, you need to protect yourself. Totally. And I think like, I like Metro and I really, you know, I feel really good about what we do because I know everyone on our our team, like regardless of what our goals are, like we will adapt our services and we will like work to make, um, to serve the client, whatever they need. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and I like, I don't know. I like, I I feel really proud of that personally, because I know even though you and I miss Julia, we're not technically, we're not like doing clinical, you know, social work or anything like that. Or even though we don't necessarily um, do that kind of one-on-one work, we're always willing, um, willing to help parents, willing to help teachers individually and all that. And I, definitely know that you all like practice that kind of, um, work ethic and mantra over in your department, Emma. Yes. Um, I want to address the comment that just came through that, uh, cultural knowledge can also be a barrier and that being sexually literate is different for immigrating parents. And now their team is growing in American culture. Um, absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. thanks Ashley. Yes. Uh, we absolutely see that. Uh, I know growing up, it was like, 
you're Lebanese, but you're growing up with American culture and American culture is teaching you this, but our culture isn't. Mm -hmm. um, and the speed to which uh, a Lebanese living in Lebanon uh, person would get this information would be much different than the speed of um, a Lebanese American person getting yeah. this information. I'm sure. Totally. And it's hard for young people to kind of like, um, to just uh, deal, not deal with, but like process both of those um, identities at once. Um, I mean, I'm already second generation, but my grandparents were, were all immigrants. And, you know, you can, they came from Cuba, but you can really still feel, um, you know, the differences in culture and attitudes around mm -hmm. um, sexuality, whether it comes to sex itself um, or especially, um, especially like gender identity and orientation. Because um, I know for me, I feel like, I mean, I, I always say this when I like tell my own story, I feel like when I was growing up, like I had blinders on cause you know, you just, you just learn like, I don't know, just the norm and, you know, heteronormativity and straight culture or whatever. And you kind of like, don't even realize like you don't really, you can't really tap into yourself when, when, you know, the world message you, messages you a certain way. Absolutely. Oh, that's <sighs> yeah. So lots of resources. <laughs> um, and I like, um, Miss Julia, I think you mentioned something about how like things are different now because we are in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, we are all collectively dealing with the coronavirus. So like, yeah, sex is going to look differently. Relationships are going to look differently. And I wanted to mention that at Metro, we not only have prevention and sexual health services. We not only have LGBTQ plus programming, um, but we have a lot, lot of other programs that just talk about generally sex and relationships. I know we've do, been doing a lot of groups um, or my colleagues have been leading a lot of groups on like just like healthy sexuality during a pandemic, what's okay and what's not okay as far as behaviors, you know, in order to stay safe and healthy, but also like how to cope because this is all super isolating, right? Um, and like, I, personally, I'm struggling, you know? We're all in this together. Um, anything else you all wanna like mention or um, share before we like start wrapping up? We're all struggling. <laughs> Other than that. Struggling from social isolation. Um, I do. So obviously Metro is like the end all be all resource, but I do want to mention like some other resources that mm -hmm. just like two that I think are really good. Um, so for parents, there's this group organization called sex positive families that I think is really awesome. Mm -hmm. So they have a website, um, they have a website, sexpositivefamilies.com, and then Instagram and Facebook, and they have a ton of um, resources on how to talk to your kids about, um, you know, puberty, sexual health, identity, all of that, um, and a lot of good resources. And, um, you know, when we were talking about, like, media literacy, 
obviously we want to talk to young people about like, you know, um, like porn and maybe like more negative consequences of like, I don't know, um, being online or whatever, but we also want to like equip young people with resources. Um, one really good website I know specifically for young people is, uh, called Scarlet Teen. Um, they have a lot of really cool tools and resources for, um, teenagers and young people around, um, sex and sexuality. Um, Emma, do you have anything like any like good resources that you want to like advocate or shout out? Absolutely. So our, Youth programs at Metro, uh, we have a peer support group that runs on Tuesday and Thursday for our LGBTQ youth, and then our youth nights that runs on Friday and Saturday. And then coming up this summer is our first ever stay in summer camp, uh, which we're really excited about. Um, actually, you know, what we have to think about accessibility and resources for camp. So uh, for every camper, we will be sending them a camp care package and that package will have, it's super cool. It's going to have all the that they need workshop along with snacks and a whole bunch of rainbow gear. It's something to really just make them feel like camp is home with them. And so they get that. And at camp, we are having our safer sex workshop, which we have at just about every major youth event because um, our LGBTQ teens need to hear about safer sex practices that are inclusive. So it is happening at our summer camp. Um, so we're really excited about it. Actually, we're full. Uh, we just oh my gosh. You know, it, was, it was so That's um, pretty we awesome. We have teams from like Port Charlotte. We have a team from Ohio. Um, making it oh gosh. and making it accessible. Uh, has really kind of opened the doors for, you know, who we can reach and uh, the involvement of our team. So we're really excited about summer camp and all our virtual youth programming because there is a need because we're all struggling and it's a space for them to get inclusive information that they're not getting anywhere else. Mm-hmm. That's the truth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Miss Julia, I'm sorry. Uh, excuse me. Uh, Miss Julia, you want to talk like a little bit about maybe CTG testing for young people? Yeah, I was going to uh, mention the fact that uh, we have uh, our CTG program, uh, which talks about um, HIV and other STIs. Um, and we also have our Young Minds program, uh, which is from, we have Two, uh, one is from 18 to 24 year old, and we have another group um, that is for 13 to 17. Eight, 17, 18, yeah, 17. <laughs> 17. Um, so yeah, so and um, both groups um, are very helpful. They we talk a lot about safer sex practices. Uh, of course, we talk about HIV and other STIs. Um, we do uh, have a portion that. Um, talks about mental health, um, mm. and we, we do have our uh, mental health uh, program at Metro. Um, let's see, was there anything else? Which is telehealth now, right? Oh, yeah, which is telehealth now. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Ms. Shula. Yeah. yeah, I mean, 
so much, so much else. Um, thank you for mentioning uh, mental health. We do have um, mental health services for young people. Um, so hit us up. We also offer PrEP, um, which is pre-exposure prophylaxis. It's um, basically a medication that folks take to um, greatly, greatly uh, reduce the risk of getting HIV um, it's, it's pretty great. So, um, if y'all are interested, hit us up, um, email us or reach out to us via Facebook. Um, one last thing actually in, um, our department in prevention and sexual health, we have a program called TAPWA, um, which is for pregnant women, uh, in Hillsborough County. So basically we work with, um, folks who are expecting, not always women, um, but folks who are pregnant basically offer services, uh, offer HIV testing. We throw them baby showers, uh, give them bus passes, give them diapers and like basically are, um, you know, caseworkers for them. And it really helps reduce the rate of babies that are born with uh, HIV in our in our communities. My kitty's making noise. I'm sorry. <laughs> um but yeah that's really exciting emma about um your summer cam yeah, I really I, like you're already at capacity so i guess next year it'll have to be bigger uh, well we are hoping to hold uh, a second session this summer oh. uh, and whether or not it's virtual we'll keep you you know stay tuned we'll keep you updated there are ways to support, there are ways to um, really just provide these resources for our LGBTQ teens who really also need it during this time. Totally. Me too. I need support too. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you want to yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Don't even get me started. Um, that would be awesome. But yeah, I mean, I feel like there's so much more I want to talk about and I'm really excited because maybe we can have another one of these. Hey, Miss Julia, thanks for all you do for the AA community waiting for the next WOW event. Julia, you're popular. Oh, Miss Julia, and what wow. is WOW? Oh, WOW is um, our program that we do for, uh, well, for women. Every month when we have it, we have a different topic that we talk about. Uh, so it's really, really cool. It's really interesting. And it gets people engaged. And um, for um, a lot of people, for a lot of uh, women who have questions that they, health questions that they want answered, uh, we normally have um, a healthcare provider there. Um, so if anyone has any questions, um, and especially regarding PrEP, we always have a, a person there to discuss PrEP. So, yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Morgan, for your comment. I love all of the um, all of the feedback. It's amazing. Um, so I'm going to wrap this up soon, but I want to mention, make sure you follow us on social media. Uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, <laughs> maybe coming on TikTok uh, soon to appeal to the, the youngins. Wait for that. That'll be potentially uh oncoming um but thank you so 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 much emma and thank you julia for 
sharing your wisdom. Thank you. (laughs) Super awesome. Thank you, audience, for joining us. Um, Again, stay tuned for more events like this. Um, And actually, we have a campaign going on if you want to keep seeing programs like this and help us continue to reach our young people and educate our young people. um, You can use the text to give number. It's texting Metro to 44321. We'll be here at home for a long time. So hopefully you'll see us soon. Next Friday, actually, we're going to have another one of these to inclusivity and beyond uh, live. It's going to be on medical marijuana uh, with our guest speakers, Dr. Karen Monroe um, and True Leaf. Um, So um, we're going to sign off, but I hope to see you next time. Bye, Bye, y'all. Listening to Inclusivity and Beyond with Metro Inclusive Health, subjects that impact the health and wellness of our community. Want to hear us cover a subject in the future? Email us at lgbtq at metrotampabay.org. For sponsorship information, contact James K at metrotampabay.org.